Hello, and welcome to the recap by Dive Collective. Over the next few minutes, we're going to hit the highlights of the last week's reading from our reading plan. Annika and I, and sometimes Kelly, are excited to invite you along as we read through the Bible together. You can find our reading plan at divecollective.org. It's a free download when you sign up for our newsletter. We know some love the accountability of a checklist, while others thrive from the freedom to join in whenever your schedule allows. The recap is intended to meet all of those needs. So whichever category you fit into, just know we're excited to have you here with us today. Welcome back to the recap. This is the August 14th episode. And today we have a special guest on the show. Isaac Tolliver is joining us. Isaac is a chaplain in the Navy, and we met him in Guantanamo Bay. He is the wife of the one and only Annika Tolliver. He is. He is the, the husband. The wife. The husband. He's the husband. He's the husband. Of Annika. And uh, we're excited to have a male voice on the show. You're our first man. Ah, well, thank you. You are. That's right. Here. Thank you for the invite. It's, uh, I've heard a lot about it, and now I'm finally able to be present for it so yeah thank you for the invite I know it's that you're, you're like the conversations we used to have in our kitchens you were yeah. highly, oh, highly engaged, engaged in those yes. conversations you were just like oh my gosh I'm so glad they're finally bringing these conversations to where I can participate <laughs> not true. just at the gym mm-hmm. <laughs> and Jeff felt the same way about those Jeff conversations was right he my was husband all about loved, it. <laughs> my husband loves those conversations okay so this week we are starting, We're all over the place. Yeah, we are all over the place. We left Judges and entered First Samuel and Ruth. We, and Ruth. we ripped we right Ruth through this Ruth this week. Yep. It's funny that we just spent a month on it in our dive studies, and we read through it in a week this time. And then First Samuel, still in Jeremiah, although Jeremiah got a little more interesting with a bit of narrative in there. And mm-hmm. finished Acts and Romans. So typically, Isaac, we start in the Old Testament books and then okay. sort of work our way through. We jump around as things make us think of other things, right? Ruth chapter one is where we started. Yeah, we. I don't. Yep. One yes, through four, we started I think Ruth chapter one. I don't feel like there are as many connections this week for me. Mm-hmm. I read everything separately, and I wasn't doing like the flipping back and forth and making notes that I normally do. I didn't make a lot of connections between the books, although they were, um, there were some connections that I made between other things that I was reading. Isaac, do you have, did you write anything or take any notes on Ruth? I'd be curious since we just studied it. Yeah. So I was taking some notes as I was going through it and just a couple things that, that I noticed in chapter one, verse 16, there was a powerful statement that Ruth made. And I'm sure you all talked about it in your studies. She said, for where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. And that was a statement that just really hit me, that she was willing to lay her life, in essence, down in humility and follow her mother-in-law, who then later was bitter. Mara, bitterness. She was willing to follow this bitter woman, and that was one piece of it that that just hit me as, wow, that's incredible that she was willing to do that. One of the things that struck me most about that particular verse was thinking about her as a Moabite woman and her her closest experience to whoever this God was that she was committing her life to would have been Naomi. 
And so what kind of a witness Naomi must have been in this foreign land that she had been in for 10 years or whatever, that Ruth was like, whatever God this is that you follow, whatever life that you came from, I'd rather go there than stay here. Even in the midst of Naomi's bitterness. Mm -hmm. Even if I'm going to be an old maid and I'd rather go be it with among your people, with your God than here in Moab. So actually, that actually makes me think of Romans. The way that I read Romans, um, so I'm in the message version. So grateful to be in the message right now as we're reading Romans. Chapter 4, verse 12. And it means further that Abraham is father of all people who embrace what God does for them while they are still on the outs with God. That's what I was looking Mm. for. While they are still on the outs with God, as yet unidentified as gods in an uncircumcised condition, it's precisely these people in this condition who are called set right by God and with God. Abraham is also, of course, the father of those who have, have undergone the religious rite of circumcision. All of Romans is like, you can't do it. You're not mm-hmm. capable of doing it. That's why yeah. God came and did it all for you, which mm-hmm. is, anyway, that's how we end up in <laughs> Romans from Ruth. Well, right. Well, okay. So before we go on that passage that you just read, mm-hmm. so when I read it, it made me think about, like, I the word brilliance is coming to my mind, which is a stupid word for God, but like mm-hmm. how <laughs> brilliant God is in that it was all planned out. He made this covenant yeah. with Abraham before he was circumcised so that Paul, yes. thousands of years later, could say, yes. Abraham's the father of the circumcised and the uncircumcised. That was the plan all along. Yeah. It's just another one of those, God is a brilliant storyteller, and this was part of his plan all along. Every detail mm-hmm. perfectly planned out. Yes. Hey there, I just wanted to take a quick break to let you know that if you're enjoying our reading plan, but you're looking to dive deeper into the text using the Bible as your source, you would love our dive studies. When you become a member of Dive Collective, you get access to all of our interactive group studies. We begin the book of Mark on August 11th. We'll dive deep into one chapter per week. You'll have the opportunity to participate in live online video discussion with Annika and I and the rest of the Bible study group. Our next studies begin August 11th, so be sure to sign up at divecollective.org before we start. We would love to study with you soon. All right, so back to Ruth. That's probably the most famous passage in Ruth, Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. I'm with you. I think that's really a powerful thought that Naomi, or that Ruth committed that her life to these people and to this God, having never been there before. Mm-hmm. My favorite part, Isaac, and I said this to the whole group, so everybody that I studied with knows this, but I love that Boaz is the son of Rahab. That context oh, for me yeah. gives... That is crazy. Yes. So when Ruth comes, of course, Boaz is going to have open heart to the outsider. He knows what an outsider can be with God. So that's one of my favorite facts going into Ruth because mm. it's all about the outsider. Ruth is all about how God always intended for the outsider to be welcomed in. Mm. Always. That was. And that that kind of ties into what the other piece that hit me was the amount of times he uses the word redeemer, redeem, as Ruth was in the field. And that word redeem was used 17 times for redeemer of sorts. And in verse 9 of chapter 3, it says, spread your wings over your servant for you are redeemer. And that concept of a redeemer, that also ties into Romans in that it's mm. basically a restoration of the rights of another. You're you're basically avenging the wrongs. Mm. You're so doing you for them Romans, what they can't do. Mm-hmm. What they can't yeah. do, which is what 
what Paul's talking about because of our sin in, in the first part of Romans going into the second chapter is because of our sin, we can't. It's God. Yes. And Boaz, I think, represents God there as mm-hmm. a how he takes care of her and spreads his metaphorical wings over her. Anyway, yes. that's the other part that really hit me. Yes. Every opportunity that she could have been ashamed, he makes, he goes above and beyond. Keep that mm. from happening. Mm. He tells the guys, leave sheets open on the floor for her, but don't embarrass her. And you see several instances throughout where there's opportunities where she would have been ashamed. Okay, one of the things that came up, it was the woman's responsibility to go to the Redeemer and ask to be redeemed. And so when she did that to Boaz, that would not have been an unreasonable thing for her to ask but that then it would have been her responsibility probably to go to the actual, the person who had first right of refusal <laughs> that Boaz oh. ended up having to go to. Boaz actually ended up doing that for her, but that would not have Oh, so she should have gone to the elders. Yes. She should have gone to the elders and received the shoe. Was that her that yes. was taking the sandal? Yes, that's how that actually was supposed to go. That, that At least approached him. She would have been the first one to approach the other Redeemer, whether the contract would have happened between Ruth and the Redeemer or not. But Yeah, there's just layers upon layers upon layers yeah. because ultimately it's Naomi who's being redeemed. There was so much richness in Ruth. It was really really fun to go through and just read it. It was a quick read, of course, anyway. But it was only split into three days this week. But to read it after having just dug into it and having all these things we talked about popping out as I was reading, just reading it again, that was really fun. Yeah. The one other thing that I noted is chapter 4, verse 14. It says... Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you on this day without a Redeemer. And may his name be renowned in Israel. And they just keep talking. And I'm like, who is that? Who's saying that stuff? The women, who are they? It just kind of brings up these random women that are sharing these amazing thoughts that we don't need. I mean, they're not trying to claim credit, but just a powerful statement by the women. Yes. Anyway, I, I thought that as odd a little bit. And they name him. They name yeah. the child. The they women actually. Oh, yeah, yeah, right, right. Which, <laughs> yeah. It's very culturally very different. Yes. Well, that's Ruth not a say, thing, I don't think. Oh. Like, the women naming Obed, I feel like someone dug into that, and that was, that doesn't normally happen. But the other thing is, one of the things we talked about when we did the study was that those women mm-hmm. were probably the women that Ruth had been working alongside in the field for months and or the women that Naomi knew in coming home to Bethlehem Mm. and just how much they shared in their joy that Uh God was doing this for them. And that was the other thing that we had noted too, was that when she first met Boaz in the field, she called herself a foreigner, which would have been like less than a servant at that time. From that time to after he assigned her a time period to be in the field with these other women, the next time that she identifies herself to Boaz, she calls herself a handmaiden. The the time that she had been spending with those women that he put them, he put her in their care, she had grown an identity of being part of them. To me, that, that really symbolizes the body of Christ, like who we are. If Boaz is Christ and he puts us within his parameters, like you remain with me under my covering, under my protection, remain with my people, my people will take care of you, that in that she built a new identity as one of them, you know, because they've taught her the ropes and brought her into the community. 
which is pretty cool. It is cool. My mom described those women because you said this like with the way that you talk about it, she was like, I kind of picture it like a play and it's like the chorus is in the back, like and they're the ones like saying all of, <laughs> all of those like, things. I, I like that. I can kind of picture that. Yeah, that's a uh -huh. cool picture. Um, so moving into first Samuel. This was just a really fun story for me to read. There was a verse that stuck out that reminded me of a conversation we had, Erin, in Hannah's prayer in chapter two. Mm -hmm. super short conversation we had yesterday morning before study mm -hmm. but verse three says do not boast so proudly or let arrogant words come out of your mouth for the lord is a god of knowledge and actions are weighed by him so that just good. um that's good it was just like a check i underlined in mind that same verse it says he takes the measure of everything that happens for god knows what's going on he takes the measure of everything that happens mm. there was a line in the psalms where it says like he doesn't blink and miss anything like um, nothing is missed. Everything yeah. is numbered. Everything is precise in his eye. He's, there's not a single thing that he's missing and everything mm -hmm. will be accounted for in mm -hmm. the end and judged correctly. I love that. His sons reminded me of judges. Eli's sons, mm -hmm. people just doing whatever they please. It's shortly after, at the end of the period of the judges. Yeah, it's Something popped up. Doesn't it say that Eli had judged... Yeah, Eli was a priest, but the, the wording says that Eli judged Israel. Oh. Um, well, it has to be the end of the judges because Samuel's going to appoint a king. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. he'll be the first king. He's got to be the last. It makes sense because it's funny because you see it, the judges, we were talking about how with through that whole book, you just watch the judges just deteriorate. Like they just mm -hmm. get worse mm -hmm. and worse and worse. And now we're coming to the point of Eli and Eli almost seems to be, Eli makes me think, you know, those parents that like, they're really great people, but they have no idea horrible parents. how to parent their yes. children. They're taking, yes. they're, they're, they're skimming the meat off the top. What? Right. For the, how many years well, have they been the doing that? Thing. Like he, that's why Eli dies because he doesn't do anything because he, he knows that it's happening and he doesn't do anything. And Eli, like you're, I think Eli seems like a great guy. Like yeah. he loves God and he He helped Samuel. Like Yeah, like he's he he's guides like, Samuel whose heart he is like does. inclined. Yes. Yeah. But he doesn't stop his sons. Was, you know, one of the things I was noticing also, it talks in verse 10 of chapter 1 about how Hannah wept bitterly. You know, and mm -hmm. it's interesting coming from Ruth the bitterness concept. You know, that'd be interesting to trace that bitterness theme. But it's a different type of bitter, I think. Looking at Naomi, that was legitimate bitterness, but hers was just a, like, crying out type of, you know, crying out to God in essence. And then, then her prayer after that, if you will do this, then I will give him to you. But then at the end of chapter one, it says, therefore, I have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he is lent to the Lord. So she's, Whoa, what verse is that? In um, verse 28 of chapter 28. one, she lent him to God. Interesting. Um, Mine, my word she is never, medicated. Mine says gives. Mm. Yeah. So I wonder I what the Hebrew is there. There's a difference between lending and giving. Mm -hmm. Very big difference. It, her actions make it seem, though, like she views it as giving. Yeah. Like the way that she, I mean, he stays there and she goes to visit him. And I was going to say about the bitterness thing. 
that you brought up, babe, one of the things mm-hmm. that we talked about in Ruth, I don't remember how much you and I have talked about Ruth, but like, I was not a fan of Naomi because of the way she came across as really manipulative during the story. But one of the things we talked about at the beginning was that even in her bitterness, she was, she recognized that it came from God. And so even in her bitterness, she still acknowledged God and she still went back to Bethlehem. And so in that way, I think it's similar to Hannah's bitterness because in her bitterness also, she's acknowledging God. She's recognizing that whatever she gets is from his hand, basically, which is similar, I think, yes. to what Naomi's bitterness was. I remember when I was theming Hannah, one of my favorite things about this story was that Hannah understood that Samuel was never hers. She had Samuel, but Samuel was a gift from God, always intended for God. For me, as a, um, I feel very, <laughs> like, all discombobulated, scatterbrained, somebody who's not, I just don't have my poop in a group. Like, I'm not that kind of person. <laughs> and so, to have a kid, it was kind of one of those acknowledgements, Lord, this is your kid, and you're going to have to raise it, because otherwise, like, she's going to fall on her head in the first year and die. So, like, this all pretty much depends on this. <laughs> she's yours. Please let her live. Or not. <laughs> Whatever it is, it's your days. I can't. And it's on you. <laughs> not me. It's to you, God. Like, I am not capable of nurturing a human to adulthood. This is, like, I'm going to need you to be a part of this, please. Anyway, this, this story is just a really precious story. And there's so much, there's so many details in it from, like, Elkanah. I don't know how you pronounce his name, but Elkanah Anna. saying, like, why are you crying? Am I not enough for you? And she's, like, he <laughs> totally doesn't get it at all. And that his other wife, Nina, is constantly giving her a hard time about it. And he's like oblivious to the entire dynamic between the two. And the fact that he loves her so much is only making it worse for her because Nina's like bitter because she's not the favorite. It's just all of these um, little details in here until she finally, she ends up dedicating her son. And the way that, I like the way the message lays it out because somehow the way that the message lays it out when she comes back to Eli, um, when she's weaned him and she goes to offer him back, she basically is testifying to Eli, do you remember me? Like, I was the one and this is the child. You prayed for me and this is, this is the, the result of it. And now I'm dedicating him back. Real quick on that piece of it, what I think is interesting too is that Elkanah, he was ready to go offer sacrifices. And it looks like the assumption is that he was going to take Samuel along with him. And that's when Hannah pushed back and said, no, I want to wait till he's weaned. And I wonder if she, that those first three years were just her time with him and she was guarding that. So I think there's something there that she was saying, nope, I have these time, this time until he's weaned and then giving him to God. And so I think that dynamic, that motherhood there, she was allowed to have a little bit of time and push back on her husband. That, that's just how it kind of appears. I'm actually really grateful for that interpretation. I kind of read over it, but I had questions about that. That's significant. It's written in there in a way that tells you like it's definitely something significant. I wonder if it was going to like hurt too much to go to the temple with him, even if she was going to come back with him until she was weaned, if it was going to be one of those like. Yeah. I, I wonder if she felt like she would feel this obligation to keep that promise to God then. Gooner. Yeah, I mean, I don't know, maybe yeah. he was too young, but I don't, she just was like, I'm not ready yet. I wonder if it was 
super refreshing for Eli to have Samuel there as his protege or whatever. Intern. Yeah. And little, like he was like little, little. Yeah, he was so young. Yeah. At the end of three, when God is calling to Samuel and Eli tells Samuel to listen, and then Samuel gets this devastating message from God, right, that Eli and Samuel are going to die. Samuel doesn't want to tell him. Right. Samuel's kind of nervous to tell him. And Eli says, just tell me. And Eli's response after Samuel tells him, Eli says, he is the Lord. Let him do what he thinks is good. Whatever failings Eli may have had in his parenting skills. It's almost like, let him do what I couldn't do. I couldn't do it. I couldn't discipline my kids. Mm -hmm. I knew they needed it all along. Let him do, let him do to me and to them what I couldn't be and I couldn't do. This is God doing what we can't do. There's a beautiful submission in that. He's God. Let him do whatever he thinks is best. There's another example of that at 21 of chapter 2. I just thought it was interesting how it was phrased. Indeed, the Lord visited Hannah and she conceived and bore three sons. So I, I would assume God visiting Hannah just meant he opened up her womb to allow her to have more children. It's just mm-hmm. an interesting, you know, that ties into God doing what he, what he wills. Mm-hmm. because he's God yes in, including mm-hmm. including that amazing she gave one of her children away and blessed her with four more mm-hmm. yes cool. yes this one translate it translates it that verse as the Lord paid attention to Hannah's need which is I liked that wording mm-hmm. that it wasn't just God paid attention to her desire but it was he recognized how important it was to her that it was the need. There's another theme that's kind of running through all of these stories that we're reading from Ruth, where like Naomi leaves Moab empty and he restores, Ruth is to you more than seven sons. He restores her completely um, to hear the same thing that we see. It's, it's so, you see it all throughout scripture. God doesn't just, he, give, he gave her what she asked for. And she gave him back what she said that she would give him. And then he gives her more. He gives us more than what we ask for a lot of times. It's abundance. And he gives us and he gives us abundantly. And I think there's even significant, when you think of God even speaking. In the beginning of chapter three, it says, and the word of the Lord was rare in those days. Mm-hmm. There's something that he knows Samuel is going to accomplish. And he doesn't speak often, but yes. when he does, it's for a purpose and for a reason. And it's interesting what he talks about, because I think that also ties to Romans, is that he talks about sin and how God will not put up with sin. He despises it. And you see that chapter 3, verse 14, in the house of Eli, one of the most holy men in Israel, he can't handle it from him either. So yes. it doesn't matter who you are. You could be the most righteous to the least righteous to the Jew, to the Gentile. It doesn't matter. God can't handle sin. And it goes right back to Romans. Yes, and he deals with it. Even to the point of making the sacrifice for us. That's what Romans is all about. I'm going to read the part in Romans that I just put a giant heart on it. Romans chapter 3, starting in verse 21. But in our time, something new has been added. What Moses and the prophets witnessed to all those years has happened. The God setting things right that we read about has become Jesus setting things right for us. And not only for us, but for everyone who believes in him, for there is no difference between us and them in this. Since we've compiled this long and sorry record as sinners, 
both us and them, he's talking about like the outsiders and the Jews, and proved that we are utterly incapable of living the glorious lives God wills for us. God did it for us. Out of sheer generosity, he put us in right standing with himself, a pure gift. He got us out of the mess we're in and restored us to where he always wanted us to be. And he did it by means of Jesus Christ. The gospel, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. That's it in a nutshell. The Bible project says Jesus became what we are so that we could become what he is. Mm. That transfer is what yes. blows my mind. Yeah. Mm, I think we I should like do that. Romans that next. That's nice. Man, Romans has been my, Romans is what made me fall in love with Paul from mm -hmm. the beginning. He's just so clear and yes. direct and well direct. And, and I love, he does it again in here. He's always, let me explain this to you in a way that you'll understand. Let me give you a human example. So here's a question that you guys might be able to answer for me. The way that I was reading this at the end of Acts, we see Paul goes to Rome, which is ultimately where he's going to be executed, correct? Yes. Okay. And so it's interesting to like, to have jumped straight from Acts into Romans, where at the very beginning of Romans, I don't know that I've ever seen in any of the other epistles, such a deep longing to be, be with them. Yeah. To be with them. Like it's such a strong, like his wording is so strong. Like there's no place I have tried so many times to get to you. I'm trying to get to you. I'm trying to get to you. I'm trying to get to you. And so he writes them this letter because for whatever reason, he keeps getting delayed and it's not happening. It's just funny to think that how God ended up getting him there, you know, in the end, mm -hmm. it's through this appeal to Caesar. Oh, he's only in house arrest, right? Like he's actually mm -hmm. in this palace where For he's like years. free to have his friends come and go. Yeah. So it makes me think that like he actually got to be in the presence of his friends for a period of time when he got what he longed for maybe not in the way that he had longed for it but god ended up fulfilling this this yeah huge, obviously mm -hmm. huge desire right mm -hmm. that's so how he works i mean this is what i this is what i wanted it's not what i had in mind but i guess it's better not better the way that i would have thought it'd be better that happens in our lives all the time too yes. like what we think is the best option, God says, no way, it's not even close to happening like that. It's going to be way better, and here's what's going to happen. Yes. Only in the body of Christ can you say, I can see how being in house arrest on your way to execution in Rome somehow is still better. You know what I mean? Like, this, it was a better plan, and I know Paul knew without a doubt that it was a better plan for being in Rome than the, what he had had in mind. It couldn't have been written better. Well, he didn't have to worry about getting arrested. Because he already was. He already was. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. There was no floggings or beatings. He yeah, was he was talking. safe at a house. He wasn't getting shipwrecked. He wasn't yes. fighting for his life or food or like, yes. it's relatively I comfortable actually, by Paul's standards. Yeah. Honestly, going through that last part of Acts, I could be wrong, but I think Paul enjoyed it. Yes. I think he enjoyed the shipwreck. I think he enjoyed telling the centurion what to do. That, hey, it's too full. We shouldn't travel. And then everything went to pieces. And he said, all right, here's what you need to do. Eat some bread, throw the rest over, because here shortly we're going to have bread. And yes. that happened. And they crashed the ship. They jumped onto the land. They found they some lived really like cool kings people. in Malta? Yeah, some really cool people. Yeah, in Malta. Of stuff. He did like five or six miracles just because he was there and, and could. I think Paul loved that. <laughs> I, do. I do. I think he loved it. I do, too. I do, too. <laughs> He calls it a trial in the end in First Corinthians or whatever, but yeah, I'm pretty sure you're right. <laughs> pretty sure he was having a time of his life.
Yeah. And this should be a movie. He's living on Deer Point in Malta. (laughs) (laughs) Usually you go to a book and you start reading a book. So to transition from Acts when he's in Romans to the book of Romans was kind of a neat transitioning. What else is in Romans? So Romans 2 made me think all that we've been reading in the Old Testament, watching the Israelites fail over and over and over and over and over again, literally in the presence of God, and then reading the prophets and hearing Isaiah and Jeremiah, Jeremiah just be like, especially Jeremiah, seriously, guys, come on now. Romans 2, verse 4. Yes. Do you despise the riches of his kindness, restraint, and patience, not recognizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? And the word restraint, restraint and patience are what hit me in that because that's what Mm -hmm. God, he shows his kindness over and over, but restraint it must take for God to not just say, screw it all. Which in turn, as you read on in Romans, especially chapter three, and then as we keep going, translates into the love that he has for us. He's exercising kindness and restraint and patience, but the reason he's exercising restraint in his judgment is because of this great love that he has for us, which is what causes him to send Jesus to pay that ultimate price. I'm going to read you in my version too, because I also underlined it. It's one of my favorite lines in all of the reading that we did. It says, I'll start where you did. I think you started with a question. Did you think that because he's such a nice God, he'd let you off the hook? Better think this one through from the beginning. God is kind, but he's not soft. Hmm. In kindness, he takes us firmly by the hand and leads us into a radical life change. I like that. Hmm. God is kind, but he's not soft. Mm-hmm. I love that. I don't know why, but that completely uh, caught me off guard. That, the intention of all of that is repentance. I feel mm-hmm. like there was, with Babylon and him allowing Nebuchadnezzar to take them, the whole reason was to bring them back, to cause yes. them to repent. So even in his discipline, we can see his kindness because- Yeah, I cannot get this out of my head. I've been thinking about it probably a hundred times in the last week. It says in Jeremiah, the last verse of 33, it says, the last word is, I will have mercy on them. Mm-hmm. Like, that's all I can think about it. The, the last word is, I will have mercy on them. That's mm-hmm. in verse two in Romans, where you were just were, it was another passage that reminded me of Elihu and Job, like we were talking about mm-hmm. verses nine through 11, probably starting in 10, I'm guessing. In um, chapter two. Yeah, in chapter two, it says, but if you embrace the way God does things, there are wonderful payoffs. Again, without regard to where you are from or how you were brought up, being a Jew won't give you an automatic stamp of approval. God pays no attention to what others say or what you think about you. He makes up his own mind. Uh, What you think about you. That's a good line. Mm -hmm. He gives us so many chances. You know, even in the Jeremiah passage, he just gave them so many chances to do the right thing. And and Jeremiah was like, hey, look, if you just do this, if you, I think he just said, and I'm not there, if you just stay in the city. Yes, that was the whole thing. They were supposed to surrender. They were just supposed to surrender. Oh, yeah. If you just surrender, then you're going to be just fine. And then they didn't. And poor Jeremiah just keeps getting thrown in the well. I mean, he's having chances. Like, he literally... God has said to Jeremiah like a hundred times, do not pray for these people. Don't even bother praying for these people because I'm not doing anything with them. And then this guy comes to him and is like, would you pray to your God for us? And so Jeremiah goes and he prays to the God for him. And God responds with, 
if you do this, which is stay in the city, just like, if you do this, then I will protect you. I like, he's like, gives this huge promise of like good things he's going to do for them. I get like so many chances, so many chances. Well, this one guy, he comes in secret to Jeremiah too. Zedekiah comes to him in secret. Oh, okay. So in 42 of Jeremiah, the people ask, the people seek Jeremiah's counsel. Okay. And so Jeremiah tells them and they say, may the Lord be a true and faithful witness against us. If we don't act according to every word, the Lord, your God sends you to tell us whether it's pleasant or whether it's unpleasant. (laughs) Oh yeah, I remember that. And they say, we obey our Lord God to whom we are sending you so that it may go well with us. We'll <laughs> certainly obey. So they're like, for sure, Jeremiah, yes. this time we're going to do it. We're going to do it. Like, just and I believed them. We're going to do it. I totally believed them, <laughs> which I shouldn't have because we know what happens. But then like literally the next chapter, he, he goes and he prays and he tells them what's going to happen and he tells them they should stay. And they're like, uh, no, they fail to obey the Lord's command. Instead, they lead the way the whole remnant of Judah and then everything's in ruin in chapter mm-hmm. 43. 43. Yeah, in 43, it, he says, liar, our God never sent you with this message. There's no hey, way. We're not going to listen. Message. No, God didn't say that. <laughs> One of the things you mentioned, Annika, I think was helpful. Even as I was going through this, you said, even though I knew what was going to happen, I think it's helpful, is, even as I was reading this, to try to clear my mind of what was going to happen and they get mm-hmm. caught up in the story. I mm-hmm. totally got caught up in the story at the end of Acts. I got caught up in the story in Jeremiah and it just carried me away. And I think if you allow the story to carry you away a little bit and not just be like, oh, I know what happens here. And it's easier in the Axes, the Jeremiah's than Romans because they're very differently. I mean, they're written in a Semitic format where it's just a story. So get caught up in the story, get lost in it. And if you do that, I think you're going to really get to know who our God is in a more full, in a more real, in a more vivid way. Yes. Oh my gosh, Isaac. Yes. That's exactly, that is supposed to be the heart behind the Bible reading plan in general, is that like, that's supposed to be the section of devotion time where you do, you just let yourself get cut up in the story. You're not reading into it. You're not trying to theologize it. Was that a verb? Probably not, but (laughs) it's coined. (laughs) You're just, you're just reading it to know. And I like that because I think there's like a simplicity. There's a, we do try to bring, we want to sound intelligent. We want to feel intelligent. We want to, we want to make sure that we understand it correctly so that when we say it, we say all the things rightly. I say we, I should just, I can just own that. That's me. But the purity of just reading the story for the story's sake, I think God loves that you know when we just come before it we're just like just i don't need to know the story in advance so i want to just pretend like i'm reading it again for the first time and every time thankfully it's so long that by the time i've gone through it once like my brain's <laughs> forgotten half of it and i'm reading it for the first time all over again but it's cool too to see how like zooming out and just reading it to read it and to see the big picture helps yeah. it helps us when we are digging in to the smaller sections, like being able to see that big picture, like you were saying, Isaac, of who God is and what he does and how he works. Yes. Understanding that from the big picture perspective enables us to understand the. It lets us know whether we're on or off track. I know his character. I've seen his character all through scripture. So I know, so I know when I come to this and I look and I study it, I can kind of go like, is this consistent with what I know to be true of his character based on what he's showing me all through scripture? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's definitely true. I do love that idea of just a big scope, overarching picture that just colors everything else. It's, it just adds 
color to everything he's doing in my life now. When I see him acting in my life today, I can go, oh. I've seen him do that before. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you see him do it over and over and over again all throughout people's lives. Thank you so much for inviting me and and allowing me to open up God's word with you and uh, truly a treasure, not just to have this conversation, but to dig in in a in a way like this to God's word. I think typically I'll read the Bible more linear. I just read it all the way through. Going from one passage to the next is not usually how I read it, but seeing these connections, hearing the stories in a different way, because I'm reading it in a different, a little bit different format. And I think it once again helps it be a little bit more real and and vivid in my mind. So thank you for the opportunity to join you and to walk through God's word with you. It was good. It was like old times. It was. We need to do more. If you enjoyed this discussion and maybe you're wondering how to get more highlights out of your own scripture reading, you might be interested in joining our in-depth dive studies where we model our process of inductive Bible study. You can find out more at divecollective.org under the studies tab. And we will see you next week.